0: I actually, I have, but I think that there's a step in between that and what we're currently at. And to me, that is the widespread use of surrogacy on a level that we haven't seen before. And there's there's the surrogacy market. I don't know if it's still going on the war in Ukraine, but there was a massive surrogacy market in Ukraine. And those women were treated horribly. And they were oftentimes not paid unless they delivered the baby to full term. I don't know specifically why it was so difficult for a lot of them to carry to full term. Maybe it's the lack of healthcare there. But that is an issue in Ukraine. So American couples or American single people, as well as people around the world, were really using women in Ukraine to carry babies. And we're now seeing a lot of people in the US. And I've seen the documentaries for this. It's been recorded for years that that's been happening in Ukraine. It's it's called the surrogacy market there. They have companies here as in the US and the Ukraine that work as liaison between the two. I don't know if it's still happening because of the war, but it was up until then. So you have that and then you have this culture that's developing in the U.S. of just using surrogates. I'm not talking about women who can't get pregnant or anything like that. Nothing like that. I'm talking about people who seem to just be renting women to have babies. And I don't think there's enough protections for those surrogates because that's not something that's really been talked about in Congress. There are not massive bills to make sure that they're not harmed. And when you have a situation, and I think this has started in Hollywood, the Kardashians really have led the way on this, people just getting surrogates, and now you see other actresses, and some have even said, I'm doing this because I don't want to have a baby to have the stretch marks, have all that, and that's their choice. But I wonder if there are protections for those surrogates, because it's not going to be older women who have lots of life experience who get brought into these be surrogates. It's going to be girls my age who maybe need money for school or who need money to live or who are trying to support their family. And there doesn't seem to be an advocacy wing supporting them and protecting them and really instructing them about what it's going to mean for their mental health and their physical health to do this. And that's something the pro-life movement may want to start talking about, because if we don't protect surrogates, we're also not protecting babies.
1: Oh, wow. No, that's so I'm so glad that I asked you that question. I was trying to figure out how to work it in because we spent three or four episodes going into the designer babies and the surrogates and then eventually the synthetic womb market. And uh, no, it's great that you're talking about that because it is going to affect the mental health of that child down the road when it finds out that mommy didn't even love me enough to carry me inside her belly by choice, not because of health reasons. And then that woman you're saying like your age who's going to end up giving away the baby that was growing inside her this is going to lead to all sorts of problems down the road and then the next step as you said this is the bridge to get to the full-blown you know technocratic uh uh, element of this synthetic wombs i mean it's scary the stuff that they're doing now i want to ask you because this ties in as well um you have and i don't know if you follow him much if you see that he's involved in any of the investment into the youth organizations but you have peter thiel who came out obviously was marketed as trump's only big billionaire uh silicon valley backer which was not true but that's how they marketed it how does peter thiel play a part in the conservative movement now considering that he's actually backing candidates and he goes out there calling himself a conservative libertarian of which in my belief he is neither
0: he has money in everything. Everything has Peter Steele money in it, and people want to, you know, get in bed with him in political means and economic means. That's their business. I find it strange, though, how libertarian conservatism has sort of morphed. It's morphed into the, its own thing, and there are these people who pushing libertarian conservatism what is that really what they say to me is well it's it's freedom for everybody it's everybody having what they need and us still having capitalism and everything i think it's a bridge between having leftist come in in the in the libertarian movement and try to take over the conservative movement i think that the libertarians in a lot of ways not not the libertarians in the national party who've been out there not the ron paul rand paul people those people believe and they have a whole thing of of lists of specific points i've worked with them i've spoken with them their principle but these new libertarians who seem to be very interested in financing conservative enterprises i think it's a bridge between that and leftism
1: Yes, and I've explained to my audience, let's see if you agree with this, I mean, like again, he tries to brand himself as this conservative libertarian, he was speaking a couple weeks ago at the National Conservatism Conference held by the Edmund Burke Society, but as I said to my audience, if you just take conservatism in its simple form, you know, being fiscally conservative or socially conservative, Peter Thiel, as I'll explain in a moment, is a devout transhumanist, which is anti-humanism, the eventual goal is sort of the engineering of humanity. Humanity out of existence. So, therefore, he cannot be a social conservative. As far as fiscal conservatism, he currently has over $2.5 billion in government contracts open for his various companies. He's been funded by CIA money through InQtel, which is their venture firm. And so, he's in no way a fiscal conservative because he's not about small government. And then, as far as the libertarian brand, you know, being for liberty or freedom, his company Palantir, which was started with CIA InQtel money, is a almost in every government agency, including in the IRS, under a $100 million deal that they signed under the Trump administration, to basically go out and harass American citizens. So I don't think that Peter Thiel is about liberty in any way whatsoever. So to me, it's almost like he's a fraud. I don't know why he is not rejected and there's really no pushback. Do you see any pushback from either young conservatives or other conservatives in the movement saying, this guy doesn't represent us, we don't want him involved?
0: No, but you're also dealing with a group of people who do no research and don't vet anybody. So if you don't vet anybody and you don't do any research on anybody and you don't do deep dives just with public information, why would there be pushback? And that's something I've I've seen over and over again. You can come in and just say you want to save America and have your whole closet filled with, you know, horrible skeletons about your behavior. It's never going to matter. Because you're going to like rah-rah save America. So if you have that situation, it's not just him. There are many people, I'm sure, throughout the concerned movement who are financers or in positions of leadership who were never vetted. And so we're now seeing what happens when you have people who are vetted come in, and that's something on the left that doesn't happen. Those people are vetted ideologically. They go back through their whole lives, the to fine tooth comb. Maybe they miss a couple of tweets. Maybe they miss something somebody said once, but they go back and they look and they find out who you're voting for uh, through talking with your friends, talking to family or teachers. They read your papers in high school. They vet. We don't vet, and we pay the price for it over and over again.
1: Now, do you think that's just because there is, for some reason, this constant desire by people on the right who, as we said, the the numbers that sort of the Republican Party give out, the GOP gives out, uh, that there are actually less conservatives than we are led to believe? And so sometimes in life you do feel isolated. You start to say, wait a second, how is everyone all around me on the left, but I'm told we're in the majority? Do you think it's because the right's desire, and I think this is in most Most humans to have some kind of some leader that comes out of the fold some billionaire that's coming to save us do you think that's why we keep falling into the trap of accepting people like say peter thiel or robert mercer or any of these guys you go oh a billionaire is coming to back us so now we're gonna win do you think that's part of what it is not not, not for the people that are just greedy and want the money
0: I think we do want a savior, but there's also a very trusting nature in the conservative movement that I've never fully understood. But it's this idea of they couldn't possibly be lying to us. It could They must be ideological. They must be principled. So you're always up against this idea of people are just doing their best and telling the truth. And I don't understand that. Since we're in politics, I would just assume everyone's lying. That seems like a safer bet. That's always seemed like a safer bet to me, but I'm very much in the minority about that. And people will say, you know, why would they lie? Why would they try to give away their money and and do it in a way that doesn't even get them what they want? Because some people are bad willed, because some people are not principled. But the idea of trying to explain to large amounts of conservatives, and I've tried this, so I, I know this to be true, that... People are untrustworthy and should not be given the benefit of the doubt and not be given second chances within the GOP. is not accepted. They do not accept it. So we're always up against that trusting nature, which uh, honestly is a lot of times an Achilles heel.
1: Oh, no, I I totally agree with that. I mean, I've got a video. So there's this whole concept of singularity, which is eventually when artificial intelligence becomes smarter than humans, and then humans are forced to merge with machine, man and machine merge. And so it's called Singularity. It came out of Ray Kurzweil, who is the chief um, engineer at Google. We did, like, several shows on this. And you go back to Peter Thiel, going back to 2006, he was investing in and funding the Singularity institute giving speeches that are all over the internet you can watch them at the singularity conferences and so then there's this video of him from a few years back sitting there uh, in a little panel discussion and he says right there that uh transhumanism and Christianity, so transhumanism, the merger of man and machine, with this concept that these guys are chasing in various forms of immortality. They want eternal life. That Christianity and transhumanism have very little differences. In fact, only a few small metaphysical differences because at the end of the day, God is offering you eternal life in heaven and Peter Theo, and the transhumanists are offering you immortality right here. I mean, this quote is it's in video he's out there saying this it's not the first time he said this kind of thing how could anyone on the right accept this guy as uh, being involved with anything any of the candidates he's backing when he literally just told you that there's no difference between transhumanism and christianity and i'm sure you probably have never even seen that right yeah
0: things being on video don't matter anymore and i've said this to my mom when we've been talking about politics (laughs) If it's on video, if there's, like, a recording of someone saying horrible things, this is why oftentimes I I think when I see Project Veritas reports, like, that's not going to matter. Yeah, it's shocking, it's horrifying, but these things don't matter to voters anymore. You have to have, like, a candidate on tape torturing a kitten for anyone to even care, and you'd have to have, like proof that he was there and that it wasn't a doctored video and all these different things because we are at a point now, a lot of this is due to the Trump years of the left hitting Trump so hard, it got to a point of people being desensitized. No one cares about things that are on videos. It's very difficult to shock Americans anymore. You can't really shock Americans in politics. I think the Biden speech where he was sort of backlit like he was a tyrant from the 1940s shocked Americans a little bit. But the only reason it did because it didn't fit with biden's brand biden's brand was this grandfatherly guy obviously it's a lie but that was what the the marketing was so when democrats those more moderate democrats saw him backlit with the red and the military people near him and you know like saying all this harsh language they didn't like it because it wasn't the biden they knew but aside from that when have americans been shocked recently we're about to enter a global recession people aren't even talking about it because it's (laughs) not shocking anymore i mean if you look at the the data coming out uk pound is super weak our dollar is on mess. nobody cares because we're at a point now where things have been bad for so long in so many ways it's the expectations. so we're not sh- we're only surprised when things get better at this point we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the
1: end what will i become senwa saga hellblade 2 play it now with game pass yeah definitely so i mean that's that's part of uh you know what we've been researching here i think growing out of i think there's a lot of leftist ideologies and progressive ideologies embedded in what is becoming this um It's basically both parties and the entire government backing the idea of technocracy, which is the eventual rule by the scientists and engineers. And we spent 54 episodes digging into this. And so I'm about to start comparing this to uh, old videos I have of Saul Linsky to explain to the audience that this mentality grows out of leftism. It grew out of progressivism. It has elements of communism because the goal is for the scientists and engineers to control the means of production, manufacturing, the work schedules, and then the distribution of goods, and this goes all the way back to the 1930s, it even has some roots in uh, Nazi Germany, and so now you're seeing people, people, as we're talking about Peter Thiel, people like Peter Thiel are actually behind this movement, backed by government money, and you're seeing that trickle into the right and left, so when you're talking about how Peter Thiel branding himself as a conservative libertarian, or this new sort of libertarian populist idea, that they are going to end up pushing the left in i think what you're actually seeing is the beginning of this full-blown technocracy leaking in to what's going to control the entire government and then in fact the whole entire world that's what basically they're moving towards i think that's part of what the COVID Land high school theater production was about as well
0: and elon musk is not our savior in this and a lot of people think that and I don't really understand why. I mean there's there's not a like Elon Musk is not a conservative person at all whatsoever. This is not true. He might be less horrible than Zuckerberg, sure. Yeah, okay, I'll accept that. He might be less crazy than Jack Dorsey probably, but he's not our savior and this is a real problem within the GOP that I wasn't aware of until I was really working in Republican politics. We have this idea that we are completely against the celebrities telling us what to do. We don't want celebrities to tell us what to do. We think it's ridiculous. I also think it's ridiculous. But the second that one talks to us or favors us, they're like, raised to this level of king or queen in the gop and the conservative movement and it frustrates me because we spend so much time on them that could be given or allocated to better areas that it only hurts us and then that celebrity leaves because they're celebrities and they're not here to stay with us in gop land they leave and then we're left with less and they'd be more people just know their name and buy their music or their brand or whatever they're selling
1: oh definitely we don't want uh, celebrities talking to us until we want celebrities talking to yeah. us. And so, in fact, we elected a celebrity as president. But look, I always admit, I went to 13 Trump rallies. I performed in my Donald Trump impersonator costume at two inaugural balls. I mean, I was on board because for me, that was our last best hope to fix the problems of yesteryear, which was an open border and everything else. To me, those issues are like out the window now. Demographic yeah. warfare has been spread all across the world. You're seeing even what's going on in Russia, Ukraine. My wife is from uh, Poland, and I was just over in Poland for three weeks with her, and you're seeing the Ukrainian refugees. It doesn't really matter what people's standpoint is. They're moving them into Poland. They're doing the same exact thing that they did in the U.S. here with South Americans, Central Americans, Mexicans. they are bringing them into Poland. They're telling them not to assimilate. They're giving them all kinds of government money. Meanwhile, the U.S. is over there building a military base and trying to push Poland into this new NATO alliance. And so we're basically running Poland. And then everyone in Poland who is starting to stand up to some of the refugees that are emboldened now and acting like some of the people that we bring in because the government is telling them to act this way are now called racists. I mean, and you're seeing the same game be run um, over in Poland. But let me ask you a couple more things. Um, You wear a lot of hats. So what are all the different projects you're involved with? I mean, you're going to college, you're working for the... um, Uh, Republicans for National Renewal, you've got your different podcasts. Uh, How do you manage all this at 22 years old?
0: well I think mainly because it was gradual so when I started off I just had my show and then from that I was I had another writing position then I joined Trinity International which is a young conservative and Christian organization that helps to have conservatives who are, and Christians on college campuses not feel isolated ideologically so with that it, that really is an area where everything sort of filters in together it's all about making sure young conservatives are not isolated and that they don't feel like they have to compromise to exist and that was a f- feeling that I felt in school, you know, grade docking is a real problem as well. So we talk about that from leftist teachers. And along with that, helping out Republicans in national renewal with social media and making sure that they have what they need is really important because these are org- that's an organization that's vetting people. And that's one of the things I liked about the organization. I interviewed their executive director for my own show, and I asked, how, how do you deal with these candidates? What how, how does it go through? And they have a checklist. They, I think they call it a report card of where they have to stand on certain issues. And that's something that I thought was really nice to see, especially from a organization. Organization, because a lot of times we don't see that, and they have to hit those checklists to be endorsed. So it all sort of filters through the same topic. I will say it's easier to stay disciplined in it when it's all under the same umbrella. So everything I do is under conservative politics or pro-life politics. When everything's under the same umbrella, it's easier to streamline. And there are a lot of young conservatives who have asked me, how do you not get overwhelmed with things? How do you not you know, drop certain things or not be able to pay attention? You just have to be really disciplined in what you're doing. And I think one of the reasons I haven't had burnout, which a lot of young conservatives have, is that everything i did was organic so when you're suddenly given a massive show on a massive platform and you're 18 That's a big learning curve. And there's a lot of things you don't know. Or when you're suddenly given a massive position in an organization, there's a lot of things you don't know. We have a problem in the young conservative world of people burning out and feeling like they have to develop content all the time. I've taken months off from developing content to focus on other things in my job sphere. Young conservatives need to not be given everything all at once. And that sounds bad to say, but that's the way to keep them in and not have them burn out quickly.
1: Okay, so let me ask you, what are some of the boxes that uh, some of these candidates have to check off? What are you guys looking for over there? I mean, it's not you specifically doing it, but what, what kind of stuff are they looking for?
0: So you're looking for isolationist policies, you're looking for someone who does not think it's appropriate to send massive amounts of money all the time to whatever country needs it, and to not have American military boots on the ground when we haven't been threatened, when it's, not against, when it's not about us being in danger, those kinds of things. You have to be willing to talk to people. I mean, this is another point. A lot of the candidates that these more populist organizations are endorsing now, these are candidates who are willing to talk to voters. And there's always been this sort of curtain between, between candidates and voters and that they will totally ask for your vote and they might answer your question in a forum but they're not going to answer your question in the comments section of their facebook page and that's something that these more populist right-wing organizations are pushing they're pushing for candidates to be involved with anybody who wants to talk to them and that's something that really is new at least in this time in republican politics
1: so let me ask you do you know does anyone have a five-year A 10-year, I mean, have they ever? Has anyone had a 5-year, a 10-year, a 20-year plan on... Like, just like you would do as a business plan if you were launching a new company, where we are trying to get to as far as, say, a conservative movement. I mean, I know these technocrats have a plan. I know the UN uh, with agendas 2030, 2050, they have a plan. They know where they're going. I know the World Economic Forum has a plan. They publish it in all of the speeches and the conferences they throw and the papers that they publish. Is there any plan whatsoever from the conservative movement? Or is it just hopefully win the next election, be able to grift a little more than other people grift, and then we move on to the next battle? Or is there actually a plan to, quote, you know, save America, actually change things, roll back anything? I think we've given up on the idea of shrinking government. I don't even think that's a question anymore. So do you see an actual plan in place by anyone?
0: No, I th- and I think that's a good question. A lot of that is dependent on who becomes a nominee in 2024. And that's just the reality we're in. Because if Donald Trump becomes a nominee in 2024, the plan from there will be how do we get all the things we want to accomplish within Trump's presidency. However, if someone like Ron DeSantis becomes the nominee, it's not so much about his presidency or after getting him elected. It becomes how do we get this more common sense, solid way of thinking into the geo And the conservative movement. A lot of grifters will not survive, I don't think would survive the Don, the Ron DeSantis nominee time. And I don't mean presidency, I mean the nominee time. Because when someone is the nominee, what they're doing is they're reshaping the platform of the party. Donald Trump did that very successfully in, in 2016, Romney did not do that successfully in 2012. So with Donald Trump, you had in this this five-year plan of this is what we're gonna accomplish, we're gonna do a remake of the entire you know GOP network, we're gonna put in Trump loyalists and we're going to make it a MAGA-centric party with someone like Ron DeSantis, who I was not a fan of for a long time, and I've come around to recently because I think it's a much better decision than a Trump presidency 2.0. Someone like Ron DeSantis, what I like about him is that he does not seem to have a lot of friends. They say his main advisor is his wife. He's a very closed-off person. So what you'll have there is you'll have a plan of how to stabilize the Republican Party and stabilize the conservative movement. And that might just mean a lot of internal maintenance and not trying to win over new voters. But if you're asking right now, is there a five-year plan is anybody presenting it no even though kevin mccarthy tries to present his like saving america plan on his <laughs> yeah. website or something it, it, that's the closest we've gotten and nobody cares about that
1: okay so let, let's say ron desantis becomes the candidate and ron desantis you know wins the election what are we like as americans uh as humans what are we hoping to get out of this what is it just to reverse a few policies here and there or is anyone looking uh you know, again, big picture ideas. Are we getting back to waving the American flag again? I mean, what what's actually supposed to happen? What do people have to look forward to?
0: Well, for me personally, if Ron DeSantis run, ran and won for president, won the presidency, I would be looking for a stabilization of global politics. I'm very concerned about. The fact that we are what we want doesn't matter anymore in the global sphere. I mean, Afghanistan falls, Russia invades Ukraine. We're a stock. The French president, Emmanuel Macron, says nasty things about us all the time that we are not listened to when it comes to the energy crisis throughout the world, specifically in Germany. We can't even shame Germany into doing what we want them to do anymore. That's a real problem for me. So I want a stabilization and a return of American dominance, not in us being interventionists, but in us being listened to, in us having a firm position on the world stage when afghanistan fell and we lost those marines i thought that would be a moment where perhaps you know the democrats would be heaped in shame and then the media would slam them because the media was not happy with joe biden that didn't happen so to me that means that the media is now okay with democrats allowing our global politics and global foreign policy to fall that's the main thing we have to look forward to i also think we have The idea that Ron DeSantis will point or or pick a education secretary that is very focused on the type of textbooks that are not filled with ideology that's very leftist and really maintaining parental power within schools. Those would be the two main things. And then the stabilization of the economy and trying to get further investment from major companies in the U.S. and not outside the U.S. But that specifically, I think he has taken from the Trump policy fold because he's very well versed in the Trump policies and will try to bring into his own presidency.
1: Hopefully he can keep Peter Thiel out of the fold because I know he's already been sneaking around Ron DeSantis' circle. But uh, let, me, let me ask you this one, because this is a this is big picture. So I'm always trying to look, again, when I asked you about the plan, if anyone knows what we want to look like in 20 years or 25 years, because, again, the people that we would consider to be our enemies, they publish their plans. And I'm not just talking about the left, like AOC. I'm talking about Klaus Schwab and Yuval Noah Harari and the World Economic Forum, which really just acts as the world's chamber of commerce, essentially, is what it is. The... Uh, Sort of uh, the talking points goes out to the public and private sectors and how they're going to merge and how they're going to usher us into the fourth industrial revolution of which we're pretty much in now. But let me ask you, how does... Not how they say they're going to do it, not what they campaign on. But how does someone like a Ron DeSantis focus on how younger kids, even people now stuck in their 30s and early 40s, that haven't been able to save enough to, say, buy a home? Because let's say in this area, in Frederick, Maryland, they pop up these little crappy Ryan homes. They're $750,000. Yeah. You're not even getting a yard. You have three feet around the outside of the house. So how does the economy change? How does someone like a Ron DeSantis not just talk about it but actually do it when we're also facing an economy in which people like Elon Musk who is nothing more than a technocratic transhumanist like the rest of these guys he just does it a little bit different he's backed by the government just like Peter Thiel and the rest of the gang when they're working towards building robots that people can buy for $20,000 to replace waiters, to replace uh, landscapers, first it was the job's americans don't want to do now it's the jobs humans don't want to do so as they're building artificial intelligence and they're building robots to replace humans in the uh, workforce how do people get there does ron desantis eventually have to run on universal basic income i mean how does this actually happen in the economy that we're building